What is going on, you guys? My name is Justin, but you can call me Jay Swag, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk with Swag. Appreciate you stopping by, giving a listen, hanging out, you know the drill. This is a sports talk show, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. Um, So tonight, we are looking at, well, so, I guess I should explain a little context. So... Uh, earlier today, this morning, ESPN released their Eastern Conference all-time starting five NBA teams. So if that doesn't make sense, let me explain. <clears throat> the NBA has two conferences, Eastern and Western Conference. And in each conference, there are 16 teams. And so basically... They released the Eastern Conference today, and they're doing the Western Conference tomorrow. And so that's a lot of teams, and that's a lot of stuff to cover. So tonight, we're doing the first eight of the Eastern Conference. Next week, we will do the second eight teams of the Eastern Conference. The week after, we'll do the first eight of the Western Conference. And the next week after that, we'll do the second half of the Western Conference. So... We got next four weeks, it's all NBA, and it's all talking about um, their all-time starting five, and hopefully that will be a lovely segue into the be, the uh, resuming of the NBA season. <clears throat> we'll see, though. Who knows? But So that's, I guess, just a little news update, whatever, is that earlier... Today, um, it was reported that Disney World is now the front runner over Vegas and Houston um, to host the remainder of the NBA season and uh, postseason, or yeah, the playoffs. So, interesting. You know, we'll see what happens with that. I still don't know if I really think that's a good idea or not. Uh, to just have it in all one, all in one place. Um, but you know, the NBA is going to do what the NBA is going to do, and they're going to do what they think is best. And obviously, business is a big part of what they think is best. But I think they also try to take health and safety into consideration as well. Um, but it seems like they all really want to just get back to the season, and I'm hoping that they are all taking their health and safety into effect and not only their own, but literally everyone else's because, you know, getting that many people together and then with their circles and then the circles of those people, you know, can very, very quickly cause a massive spike again in cases. Uh, but who knows, you know, cause who knows with anything with this pandemic. Um, and again, that wouldn't be until July that that's happening. So that's still a month and a half away. So we'll see. Uh, but that's enough about that. Um, so yeah, so we're going to go ahead and get into this. So 
we're going to start, we're going to do the first eight teams. And it's, I think they just list them alphabetically. So there's no, this isn't like ranked or anything. It's no particular order. Uh, so essentially just a little context here. Basically what I did is, so they have the starting five um, of each team. And, you know, who is the best, you know, who's the best Hawks point guard of all time? Who's the best shooting guard? You know, all that stuff. Uh, they more went instead of specifically, because I read they had a, you know, slight little blur before they listed all these. And they said that they didn't do specifically positions because they said the today's NBA is a pretty positionless game, which is obviously true. Um, <clears throat> but they said that they essentially tried to do like how they do the all-star game now, essentially, which is like two guards and three forwards or two guards, two forwards and a center. Um, so, you know, that is, that is what it is, you know, you, you know, think what you will about that. Um, I think is, I think if you stick to two guards, two forwards and a center, that's good enough for me. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other context. So I, I went and I took, so what they said in the article was that they chose these people based purely on their time spent with the team. So for instance, you won't see Michael Jordan on the Wizards list because we're not taking that into consideration. We're only looking at his time with the Bulls and so on and so forth. So what I did is I gathered some very base statistics for each player for their time specifically spent on that team, uh, as well as any awards or championships that they won with that team. Um, so again, so like when we're looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, the two titles that LeBron James won in Miami are not going to count for his tenure in Cleveland. Obviously it's just going to be the one that he won. Um, and the only other context I'll give is one of the stats I used. I wanted to throw one advanced stat in there because if you know me, you know, I love statistics specifically when it comes to sports. I love them. Um, especially nowadays with all these advanced statistics that we have that help give a better dive and look into, you know, athletes and their skills and their, what they bring to the table statistically. Um, so one of the, I, I didn't want to overload it. So I just chose one and one that I thought that fit well was it's called box plus minus. So it's box score plus minus. And essentially what that is. Uh, I actually copy and pasted from Shea Serrano's book, Basketball and Other Things. This is his definition of a box plus minus, and I thought this dumbed it down and broke it down as as best as I had seen to make it make sense for everyone. So here we go. Box plus minus. This is a box score-based measurement, and the box score, again, is just like points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, you know, three-pointers made, field goal percentage, stuff like that. So this is a box score based measurement that estimates a player's performance relative to the league average, and it is expressed on a per 100 possessions basis. What that means is if a player has a BPM of five, that means he is five points better than an average player over 100 possessions. So anything, any BPM that's above eight is very good and anything in double digits is unquestionable. Uh, the highest ever BPM that we have seen uh, since they started tracking it in like 72, I believe. Um, the highest ever BPM 
was Russell Westbrook in 2017 when he had a BPM of 15.6. And that was, of course, his legendary MVP season where he uh, averaged a triple-double. Um, <clears throat> so again, anything above eight is very good. And emphasis on very, like anything above eight is very good. Uh, anything in double digits is like God tier. Um, so I'd say anything that's like probably f- between four and eight is like quality, like your high quality player there. Um, and again, this is based on like a lot of different box score statistics. So that's why it only goes back to, I believe, 72 or 71, because previous to that, they didn't track blocks. Um, and at one point, I think they didn't block, uh, track steals for a while. Uh, three-pointers weren't a thing because they didn't have a three-point line until later on. So once they had all the statistics that we now track, the basics, they were able to apply this. So hopefully that all makes sense. Um and if it doesn't, let me know in the comments if you have any questions about this, and I'll be happy to answer any of them. Again, um, I should have uh, I should have prefaced this earlier, but per usual, we're live on Facebook here. So if you're here live now in the chat, any comments, thoughts, questions that you have, please throw them in there, and I will make sure to address or answer them. Um, and I'll say for this time let's try to keep the questions pertaining to the content that we're talking about and the comments. And then we'll try to do a little, uh, you know, time at the end for just any sports questions and thoughts that we have. All right. So without further ado, here we go. We're jumping into it. Eastern conference, the first eight all time starting lineup teams, starting with again, South medical, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, so here we go. Starting at guard one is Lou Hudson. Lou Hudson played 11 seasons uh, with the Hawks uh, back when they were in St. Louis. He played with them, and then he was then with them when they moved to Atlanta. Uh, in his time there, he averaged 22 points per game, three assists, four rebounds. I should mention here real quick. This is one other context I forgot to mention. Uh, when I took their statistics, I rounded up just to round it up or round it down just to make it whole and even. So we don't have any 0.5s, 0.7s. So if it was 0.5 or higher, I rounded up. 0.4 or lower, I rounded down. So again, Lou Hudson, 22 points per game, three assists, four rebounds, uh, an average of 1.1 BPM with his highest season BPM being 2.9. So decent. Uh, he was a six-time All-Star with the Hawks and a one-time All-NBA player. Um, so Lou Hudson, um, anyone who's a casual NBA fan definitely have never heard his name. Um, most people probably aren't familiar with him. Um, he played, you know, back in the seventies, I believe. No, if he was with St. Louis, it would have been in the fifties or sixties actually. Um, so played a long time ago when the NBA was a totally different game. Um, that being said, you know, 22 points is always going to be good. Whatever area you're in three assists, four rebounds for a point guard. That's pretty lackluster, at least in the assists. Uh, his BPM is fine. Not really that great. 
Um, again, when you're looking at the team and the players who were playing like the 50s and 60s uh, and early 70s, um, you know, BPM is like it's going to be a little off because it's just it was a different game back then and it wasn't so statistically based and games were a lot lower scoring and um, all that stuff. But so there you go. Guard one, Lou Hudson for the Hawks. Guard two, Cliff Hagen. Uh, 10 seasons with the St. Louis Hawks. Uh, he averaged 18 points, three assists, seven rebounds. He was a five-time All-Star, uh, won one championship with them, and was a two-time All-NBA player. So he was back in the uh, 50s and early 60s with the Hawks, uh, a part of that championship team that was one of the only teams to beat uh, Bill Russell in the finals in his whole career. Uh, one of the two. So outside of that, though, pretty standard. Um, you know, he actually, I've, I'm pretty sure he actually played small forward, but they moved him up to shooting guard for, you know, or guard two for uh, for this exercise. Um, so again, another name that most people probably haven't heard of. Um, but, you know, again, just a very average player. Um no BPMs because he was he was around before they were tracked, um, but yeah, these first two Hawks players are just like they're fine. It's just you know, I honestly probably would have put Joe Johnson in at shooting guard or guard two. Um, I don't really know why they put Cliff Hagen in. I guess maybe because he won a championship, but like that championship was almost entirely because of Bob Pettit. Um, so I would have put Joe Johnson in there. Um, cause I think he would have gelled better on that team, but Oh, well moving on forward one, obviously you can all, if you know the NBA, you know who this is going to be. It's Dominique Wilkins. Um, 12 seasons with the Atlanta Hawks, 26 points per game, three assists, seven rebounds, uh, an average of 3.7 BPM with the team and his highest season being 5.5. Um, and I believe that was the season that he led the league in scoring. Um, he was an eight-time All-Star, like I just said, a one-time scoring champ and a seven-time All-NBA player. Um, he actually ended up making one more All-Star team um, the year after he left Atlanta. He was traded to uh, the Clippers. And he made the Ulster team that year as well. Um, so, yeah, Dominique Wilkins, far and ahead the best Hawks player of all time. Um, never ended up winning a championship with them, but that's, you know, I mean, he was in the East having to go against the likes of, you know, the bad boys, Detroit Pistons, the Michael Jordan Bulls, the, you know, uh, Moses Malone, Julius Irving, 76ers, um, you know, so he had a lot to deal with, and he was not surrounded by a whole lot of great teammates. I, I mean, Spud Webb was probably one of his best teammates. Um, so take that for what you will. Uh, but yeah, so Dominique Wilkins, great player, makes total sense for him to be here at the small forward position. Um, yeah. So four two is Bob Pettit. Uh, 10 seasons with the St. Louis Hawks, 26 points per game, three assists per game, 16 rebounds per game, um, no BPM, 11-time All-Star, two-time scoring champ, 
one-time uh, NBA champion, 11-time All-NBA player, and two-time MVP. So if Dominique Wilkins is not the best Hawks player of all time, then Bob Pettit is. Um, the only reason I don't say that Bob Pettit is the best Hawks player of all time is because he played in the 50s. And he maybe made it into the 60s, but I think he was may have even been exclusively in the 50s. And that was back when there was a handful of teams in the NBA. Um, so, you know, not a whole lot of competition. The sport was still very new, and the competition was very easy. Um, you know, but that being said, he did still have to, you know, to get that championship, his team did beat the Bill Russell Celtics, which as you know, if you're an NBA fan, you know, was a hard feat because he won 11 championships out of 13 seasons that he played. So, um, pretty hard to take down, but so he was again, part of one of those two teams to ever beat Bill Russell in the finals. Um, yeah. So again, very no nonsense pick here. Um, makes total sense. Um, second best Hawks player of all time. And then finally at center, we have Al Horford, uh, nine seasons with the Hawks, 14 points a game, three assists, nine rebounds, uh, a 2.3 BPM average with the team, his highest season being 5.1. He's a full t- four-time All-Star with the Hawks and a one-time All-NBA player. Um, this one made sense. I figured it was either going to be Al Horford or Dikembe Mutombo. Um, my guess is they didn't go with Dikembe simply because he basically averaged like two seasons per team that he played with. He played with like six different teams and only played like a handful of seasons with each. So maybe his resume didn't quite match up with Al Horford's, but I think when you're looking at an all-time starting five, I would rather have Dikembe starting at the five with whatever season he had over Al Horford. That's me personally. Again, this is ESPN, so you have to take everything they say with a grain of salt because you know me. I kind of hate ESPN because I think that their, you know, their experts um, are either really biased or don't really do a whole lot of research, and you know, are just they make a lot of debatable, controversial choices. So you know, I have my thoughts, my feelings on on that. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the team. Lou Hudson, Cliff Hagen, Dominique Wilkins, Bob Pettit, and Al Horford. Again, I probably would have subbed out Cliff Hagen for Joe Johnson and Al Horford for Dikembe Mutombo because then you got a better team where you got Lou Hudson, who's a good scorer, Joe Johnson, who's a good scorer, but, um, you know, he may cause issues because he did like to play iso ball. Um, Dominique Wilkins, a great, great scorer. Um, Bob Pettit, good scorer, great rebounder. Um, and then Dikembe Mutombo, you don't have to worry about like getting him involved in the offense. He's just there purely for defense because one of the best defenders, one of the league leaders all time in, in blocks. Um, so you, you know, you have Bob Pettit who's just down low the whole time and, may clog up the lane a little bit for Dominique Wilkins, but then you have Joe Johnson who's just sitting out by the three-point line and can be just drilling shots there, um, which, again, I feel like would would gel a little better. If you'd be able to kind of get him to agree to play second fiddle to Dominique Wilkins, that would be best. Um, I think if you kind of look at, like, Joe Johnson's time 
on the jazz at the end of his career, um, you'd want like that Joe Johnson who you can go to in clutch times. He can make really good, you know, really clutch shots. Um, good clutch time performer and kind of just was more of like a spot up shooter um, and off the ball, you know, movement as opposed to the offense flowing through him and kind of being an ISO ball guy. I think, you know, that would fit better, but again, it would be his time with the Hawks. So that may not gel very well. So maybe that's why they chose Cliff Hagan. Um, but yeah, so that's the Atlanta Hawks overall. I think they're fine. Um, you know, some quality players, but just overall, when you match them up with the other teams that they're, that are in the East. Um, and again, with Dominique Wilkins, he was very good, but he was very good being the go-to person, which, you know, I've never watched Bob Pettit play, so I don't know how his play style was, but if he's fine with letting the offense flow through Neek, then that that would be my main concern for them. So, yeah. Um, moving on to the next team, it's those darn Boston Celtics. Um, and this is a team, this is a franchise where <clears throat> there's probably – 20 different people you could have chosen for any of these spots and it would have been fine. Like you can make an argument for so many different people. Um, but let's go through, uh, who the experts at ESPN chose. So guard one, you have Bob Cousy, uh, 13 seasons with the Celtics, 18 points a game, eight assists, five rebounds. Um, he's a 13 time all-star eight time. Lee assists, League assist leader, excuse me, uh, six-time NBA champ, 12-time All-NBA player, and a one-time MVP. Um, great, great point guard. Um, doesn't make it into my top 10 point guards of all time in the NBA, but he's right on the outside just because I think there's, I just think there's a couple people who are a little better than him. Um, but that being said, Still a, an amazing point guard. Um, I guess, yeah, probably the best point guard the Celtics have ever had. Um, you could make an argument for, for Rondo. Um, and statistically, he wouldn't obviously add up to Bob Cousy. But I just, I, I wonder if it may have been better. Again, I've never seen Bob Cousy play. And I don't, you know, I know about his career from reading about it. I've never watched it, so I don't know how he played. So, I mean, obviously he led the league eight times in assists, so he's a good point guard. Um, I just wonder if Rondo may be a better facilitator, especially since it seems like we're kind of doing this in the quote-unquote universe of like today's NBA, where I think someone like Rondo fits a lot better, especially with this team that you have. Um, but... That being said, Bob Cousy, an excellent pick. Uh, can't go wrong with him. Uh, guard one is John Havlicek, who traditionally played small forward. So, again, they moved him up. Um, 16 seasons with the Celtics, 21 points a game, five assists, six rebounds, 1.1 um, BPM for the career, uh, and 2.0 was his highest. 13-time um, All-Star, eight-time NBA champion, 11-time all-NBA player, and eight times on the all-defensive team. So 
quality all-around player here. Um, he is the Celtics' all-time leading scorer for the franchise. Um, he's in the 20K points club. Um, definitely one of the best uh, small forwards of all time. I think he probably makes it into the top 10. Um, you know, he has championship pedigree. He won it eight times. Um, good scorer, good rebounder, good passer. Eight-time all-defensive team, so that speaks for itself. Just a quality all-around player. And honestly, I think it was kind of a slightly not-as-good version of Larry Bird before Larry Bird came around to the team. Um, so, again, can't go wrong here with him. An argument could be made for <clears throat> someone like Sam Jones, maybe to be shooting guard here. Um, and we'd have a check down to small forward, but again, that's what they chose. Cause then they have who's next. They have Paul Pierce as a small forward um, or forward one 15 seasons with the Celtics, 22 points per game, um, four assists, six rebounds, 4.2 BPM average and 5.9 being his highest. Uh, 10-time All-Star, one-time champion, and four-time All-NBA player. So <clears throat> this is the one that I disagreed with the most. Not saying I really disagreed with any of them, but the one where I found I could, I could come up with the most reasons against this because I would say... Either keep John Havlicek, if you're going to keep Havlicek at guard two, then take Paul Pierce out, move Larry Bird up to small forward, and insert uh, Kevin McHale in power forward um, or forward two. Or if you want to do, you could keep Larry Bird at forward two, move Havlicek down to forward one, and then put someone like Sam Jones um, in at guard one, or you could even do like have a check guard one, Larry bird forward one, or sorry, have a check guard two, Larry bird forward one. And then like, if you don't like Kevin McHale, you could do Dave Cowens as forward to bill Sharman as forward to, um, even like Tommy Heinsohn. There's just, like I said, there's just so many players to choose from for the Celtics. So it's just, you know, I'm just nitpicking at this point. So, I just think of all the players here, I think Larry, Paul Pierce is the least deserving. And not to take anything away from Paul Pierce because he was an excellent player for the Celtics, but he's the least deserving of everyone on this list to be on it. And I think you could, you know, make make room for someone else here. Um, okay, so then 4-2, obviously, is going to be Larry Legend, Larry Bird. 13 seasons with the Celtics, 24 points, 6 assists, 10 rebounds an average of 6.9 BPM through his career, 8.8 .8 being his highest, 12-time um, All-Star, 3-time Champion, 10-time All-NBA, 3-time All-Defensive, and 3-time MVP. So, you know, not much can really be said about Larry Bird that hasn't already been said of just he's in the top 10 greatest players of all time, uh, the second best small forward of all time, in my opinion. Um... A lot of people even have them in have him in their top five players of all time. Um, just 
the definition of an all-around player. Um, excellent scorer, one of the most underrated passers in the game. Um, great defender, um, good rebounder. Uh, you know, just had great court vision, got his teammates involved, but was clutch and was able to, you know, make really great plays, whether it be clutch scoring and shooting, clutch free throws, or clutch passes and getting his teammates involved when, you know, he wasn't playing, he never played hero ball. Um, what was Bird's total points? Um, let's see. It's lo- it's going to be lower than you think because he had a really short career. Uh, let's see. Larry Legend totals. Wait for this to load real quick. Total is 21,791 points. So almost 22,000 points. Um, and again, I mean, maybe you didn't, but I usually always expect it to be higher, but he only played 13 seasons with them. Uh, you know, came out, out of, he played four years in college, so he didn't start his NBA career until he was 23, which is, you know, pretty late um, when you look at the average. Um, so that's probably like three years, three seasons in the NBA that he missed out on playing in college. Um, so, and he had to retire early because of uh, back issues. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Again, almost 22,000 points, still a ton of points. I believe he's third all time on the scoring list. I think it goes Havlicek, then Pierce, then Larry Bird. Um, so yeah, so he, Larry actually played the first five years of his career. He played power forward and then the rest of it, he moved to small forward after they drafted Kevin McHale. Um, so he, he fits totally fine into the power forward position, but again, he could also, you can make a case for him a small forward. Um, so yeah. And then finally, obviously at center again, you know who this is, it's going to be Bill Russell. Um, 13 seasons, all with the Celtics, 15 points, four assists, 23 rebounds per game, Uh, 12-time All-Star, four-time rebounding league leader, uh, 11-time champion, 11-time All-NBA player, one-time All-Defensive player, and five-time MVP. Um, Really the first superstar that the NBA ever saw. Um, And... Again, a top 10 player of all time. So that's two top 10 players of all time on the same starting team. Um, and um, second best center of all time. Um, <clears throat> you know, again, not much else can be said about Bill Russell. Uh, he has the most championships of anyone in the history of the NBA. He has 11 championships he won eight in a row um again only two seasons in his entire career did he like he made the finals every single year of his career he never wasn't in the finals and he played 13 years um he lost i think it was i think he lost 59 to this to the hawks and then 60 to the Knicks. I, I can't remember what it was, but it was, they won like, they won three in a row. 
and then lost two and then won eight in a row. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's how it went. But anyways, I mean, all-time great, uh, incredible player, one of the best rebounders of all time, one of the best defenders of all time, um, would definitely be top five blocks of all time, but he played before they started counting um, and tracking blocks. So um, we just have no idea you know, how many he had, but he was always considered one of the best rim protectors of all time in the NBA. Um, so that's the team, Bob Cousy, John Havlicek, Paul Pierce, Larry Bird, Bill Russell. Again, you can make an argument to sub any one of these guys out for someone else, really. Um, and it would be pretty much just as good. Um, so in terms of meshing and gelling, um, I don't think you're going to have many issues. Um, especially because a lot of these guys played together, like Bob Cousy played with Bill Russell. Bill Russell played with John Havlicek. And then I believe there's one or two seasons where John Havlicek played with Larry Bird. Um, and if not, then they were really close. So that doesn't really count. And then Paul Pierce is the only one who didn't play with any of these guys. Um, but so there's overlap in pretty much all their careers where they played together. And, you know, collectively you have, uh, 16, 17, 20, 31 championships between the five of these guys. Um, so, you know, you have great ball movement with Bob Cousy and Larry Bird. Um, you know, two of the best passers in the game, especially, like I said, Larry Bird, one of the most underrated passers. Um, you have great shooting uh, with Paul Pierce and Larry Bird and John Havlicek. Larry Bird is also a great finisher at the rim. So I'd say with this, I'd say Bob Cousy, you're the facilitator here. Um, Havlicek and Bird are going to be your main scorers. Have Paul Pierce just be a wing guy and kind of plant him out by the three-point line. Have him be extend the, you know, clear out the lane a little bit for for Larry Bird and for Bill Russell. And, you know, because, again, Bill Russell's not going to be doing a whole lot of offense either. He's just there for for defense and rim protection um, and rebounds. So just kind of let Larry do his thing. And, you know, I think you'll be just fine because he was an incredible scorer. Um, but he, like I said, never played hero ball. He always got his teammates involved. He was an excellent leader. Um, all of his teammates loved playing with him. Um, that was the big thing. Someone said, who was it? I can't remember who it was. Someone said after the last dance finished, they said, I think Larry Bird was a better leader because people like Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas would get in your face when you're doing bad, when you're playing poorly, when you're having a bad night. They get in your face and they push you to do better. Whereas Larry Bird was the kind of person who kind of sat back and kind of put his arm around you and encouraged you um, and kind of loved on you to get you to try to do better. So different styles of leadership. People respond differently to those, each of those. So <clears throat> it's just preference. But regardless, Larry Bird, um, a great, great team leader. So he's not going to get in the way of that offense at all. Um, so you got great defense, great offense, great chemistry. No complaints at all here with this Celtics team. All right, <clears throat> moving on to the next team, we have the Brooklyn Nets, which just, I'm sorry for Nets fans, but this is just a big 
downer to come to from the Celtics. Uh, that being said, they're not bad. They're not bad. They're just not the Celtics. So here we go. Starting at guard one, we have Jason Kidd. Seven seasons with the Nets, 15 points a game, nine assists, seven rebounds, um, a 4.8 BPM for his career with the Nets, and 6.6 was his highest in a season. Um, he was a five-time All-Star with them, two-time assist leader, three-time All-NBA, and six-time All-Defensive player. Um, so I grew up watching J.C. Kidd on the Nets. That was where I, when I started casually watching basketball, was basically right when Jason Kidd led the Nets to two back-to-back finals, um, losing to the Lakers and Spurs, respectively. Um, great point guard. Um, one of the best of all time. Definitely top 10 point guard of all time. He's like top five, I think, all time in assists. Um, he's got to be top five for assists for a point guard as well. Um, I mean, he was pretty much the second iteration of Oscar Robertson. Um, you know, we hadn't seen a point guard like Oscar for a while until Jason Kidd came around where you had a point guard averaging a near triple double every season. Um, he was not known for his scoring like Oscar Robertson was, but he didn't need to score cause he got his team involved. Um, you know, a excellent passer. Um, he was a great three-point shooter. He's top five of all time. Threes made as well, I believe. Um, one of the best rebounding point guards of all time. Um, excellent defender, too. One of the best perimeter defenders, too. So he was just an all-around quality point guard, both sides of the court. Um, so, you know, no qualms here. Uh, guard two, Vince Carter. Five seasons with the Nets, uh, 24 points a game, five assists, six rebounds, um, 4.0 BPM average, and 7.0 was his highest, and he was a three-time All-Star with the Nets. So Vince Vince here, um, and they mentioned it in the article too, they said he just barely edged out Drazen Petrovic um, because I think... It's just Vince has that slight edge in, in, I, it's tough. Like, I can't even like really explain it away. Like they put Vince and I was fine with it. I was like, well, maybe they could have put Drazen. And if they put Drazen, I would have been like, well, maybe they could have put Vince. It's just like, you you take either or, um, you know, it's unfortunate that Drazen passed away early, uh, at 28. So he was right you know, heading right into his prime of his career. So he got cut short. So I'm sure if he was able to continue playing, we wouldn't really be having this conversation and it would just be Drazen here at guard one or guard two. Um, But unfortunately that's how things turned out. Um, Vince's time with the Nets was interesting just because he came at the tail end of Jason Kidd's time, but he came kind of after they had made their great, you know, two, two finals in a row appearances and two losses in a row. Um, and he was an excellent scorer. He's a highlight machine, but never could really do much with the Nets in the playoffs. Um, <clears throat> so, 
granted you're putting him on a team here. So it's not just about his individual effort. So we'll talk about more of how he fits in there a little bit later. Uh, so at Ford one, we have Julius Irving. Um, and just for context, contextual purposes, his time with the nets was all in the ABA. So not the NBA, but the ABA, um, he played for the New York Nets, um, who turned into the New Jersey Nets in the NBA, but he played for the ABA version. So for this exercise, they considered those the same thing, um, which is fine by me. So three seasons with the Nets, 28 points per game, five assists, 11 rebounds, um, 9.2 BPM average, and 10.6 was his highest in the season. Um, three-time All-Star, two-time champion, five-time five, – oh, that doesn't make sense. Three-time All-NBA uh, – ABA, excuse me. Uh, one-time All-Defensive and three-time MVP. So he he won two championships out of three years, and he won MVP every single year he was – with the Nets. He ended up winning a fourth MVP in the uh, NBA with the Sixers. But um, definitely can be considered if you, if you know, some people don't like to consider the ABA for whatever reason. Um, just the same as like people don't like to consider like AFL championships or NFL championships prior to like the Super Bowl, which I think is stupid. Um, so, you know. He won MVP all three years he was with the team. Um, I think I think the best Nets player of all time. Um, if not, then I guess maybe you'd say Jason Kidd, but, like, I don't know. Because, um, you know, Julius is an all-time player, um, one of the best small forwards of all time. Um, if you take his ABA time into consideration, he's one of the top scoring players of all time. Um so, yeah, no complaints here. You can't argue against it. The Nets have never really had that much luck at small forward. Um, I mean, they had Richard Jefferson for a little bit there, but, like, again, he was basically just, like, the earlier version of Vince Carter where, like, good score, you know, quality all-around player, but, like, couldn't really help them get over the hump. Um, plus, he's a doctor. That's right, Dr. J. Um and this has nothing to do with like him, you know, helping this team out. But you know, Julius was a big help to the NBA and ABA in the '70s, and and keeping it popular and watchable while the you know while the league almost went bankrupt uh, because that was the time where it was um, most like even and like competitive but the league almost went bankrupt um, because like every sport it, it relies and thrives on a dynasty. Uh, but that being said, he helps keep it popular with, you know, his highlight reels and his incredible plays. Um, so he went to undergrad with the nets and then med school in Philly. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Um, he officially became a doctor in Philly. That would make sense. Because um, the NBA is really what helped, you know, bring his name to prominence. 
So again, no complaints here. Uh, makes total sense. 4-2, Buck Williams. Uh, eight seasons with the Nets. 16 points a game, two assists, 12 rebounds, 0.2 BPM average, uh, 2.0 was his highest. Uh, three-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA, and one-time All-Defensive. So some people consider Buck Williams to be one of the Nets, best Nets players of all time. Um, he was just, you know, your classic power forward who is a good back-to-the-basket scorer and excellent rebounder. Um, you know, he, again, just another player who wasn't able to really push them over the hump, wasn't, you know, a, a leader and able to, like, kind of carry the team. Good good all-around player. You know, he made an all-defensive team once. Um, not a great BPM, but I think he fits right in, like, with the squad and has a, you know, perfect role with them. Um, and then finally, Brooke Lopez at center, nine seasons with the Nets, 19 points a game, two assists, seven rebounds, 1.3 BPM average, 3.7 was his highest, and he made one all-star team. And this, to me, Brooke Lopez being the center of this all-time starting five just kind of encapsulates the Nets as a franchise as on, you know, as a whole. Because they're just like Brooke Lopez was like a decent scorer, awful, awful rebounder, not a good defender at all. Just like he averaged 19 points a game in his career with the Nets and like that's it. So just like, I don't know, it just encapsulates the Nets as a whole where it's just like, yeah, like that's kind of good, I guess, but like it really doesn't mean anything at the in, at the end of the day. Like I think it's laughable that Brooke Lopez is the starting center on this team because again, 19 points per game is fine. S- like the guy's 7 feet tall and he's averaged he averaged 7 rebounds per game for that team. And it's not like he had another player on his team that was out-rebounding him or like getting in the way of that. Like, it's not like he was the center seven feet tall, but he was having to play alongside, like, Zach Randolph, who's eating up all the the rebounds at power forward. You know, like, it was him. It was just him, and he could only get seven rebounds per game at seven feet tall. It always frustrated me, and I was mad when he made the all-star team, and I was, I'm mad, like, it upsets me that he's, like, the leader, like, this, the Nets' all-time leading scorer. I was mad when he's getting MVP votes because I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like the guy is the, the definition of just like average and just like overachieving, but like not actually good. I don't know. I, I don't want to, you know, be too negative here against the guy. Cause again, he's, he's a fine player, but I don't know. I just, I think that really sums up the nets as a whole. Um, Chocolate Thunder, maybe? I thought he played for the 76ers. Let's see. Dowell Dawkins. Um, <clears throat> oh, he did play for the Nets. Let's look at his time there. Um, basketball reference. For anyone interested, I get all my stats from basketball reference. 
All right, let's see. All right, he played five seasons with the Nets. 14, oops. 14 points per game. Two assists, five rebounds. Uh, let's see. What was the BPM? Gosh, this gets so laggy when I'm streaming. It's so noxious. Uh, BPM was 0.1. His highest was 2.1. Um, I mean, maybe. I So, could the Nets all-time team even win the NBA championship in a regular year? Ha, <laughs> ha. No, probably not, because the only champion on that team is Julius Irving, and he won it when they were in the ABA, where the competition was not very stiff. I mean, Jason Kidd won a championship, but that was when they was in Dallas, and you know Dirk kind of carried that team. So, I I don't think so. I don't think that this all time team could win a championship. Um, and again, because I think that just kind of shows what the team is made up of of people who are like fine individual contributors but like can't get their team like Jason Kidd is definitely I think the best leader on the team because he brought them to back-to-back finals um I mean you know it was those were good teams you know that it was him Kerry Kittles Sam Cassell Richard Jefferson Kenyon Martin Keith Van Horn it was a quality team for 2002 2003 um and Jason Kidd was in, you know, MVP form back then. Uh, he was in his prime. But, you know. <sighs> this team is just, like, not that great. Like, Jason Kidd's a good... He'll get his teammates involved, but he's not going to, like, score. You know, like, he never was the person you went to in clutch time to score. Um, Vince Carter, again, fine score, but I don't think he's going to mesh well with Julius Irving at all because they're basically like the same player, but Julius is better. And again, that's no disrespect to Vince Carter. I love the guy. Um, he's an incredible player. He's a highlight reel. But like so is Julius Irving, and Julius Irving is just the better version of Vince Carter and the version that won four MVPs and three championships and was a better defender and a better rebounder. You know, like he's just a better version of Vince Carter. So I don't know if that's going to mesh very well. Again, Buck Williams... Perfect. And I think actually with this specific team, I'd rather have Daryl Dawkins because he wasn't trying to get involved on the offensive side. He was just like, hey, oh, I got the ball. Let me just break the rim and dunk it um, and just kind of play defense and rebound outside of that. So, you know, not great rebounding. Well, you know, I guess you won't really need to rely on the center because you got Julius and Buck Williams doing the rebounding. But Brooke Lopez like is going to want to get involved in the offensive side, and he shouldn't be. Uh, that should really just be like Julius Irving. <laughs> so I'd say Daryl Dawkins would be a better fit on this team. But either way, it's just not a very good team. It's just it's a bummer for Nets fans. I was a Nets fan for a little while, and then I stopped watching the NBA for a while, and then when I came back, I was like, um, I like the Knicks. Yeah. But that turned out well for me. Um, all right. Next up, 
the Charlotte Hornets. If you didn't think it could get worse than the Nets, it can. And I hate saying that because the Charlotte Hornets have some of the coolest retro jerseys of all time. But man, this team is bad. Let's get into it. All right. Starting at guard one, it's Kemba Walker, obviously. He's the leading scorer for the uh, Hornets. Um, he played eight seasons with them, 20 points per game, five assists, three rebounds, 2.8 BPM average with 4.2 being his highest season, three-time All-Star and one-time All-NBA player. I love Kemba Walker. He's a great player. Um, I loved watching him in college at UConn. <clears throat> And I still love watching him now in the NBA. Um, he, I think he's like a misunderstood and underrated player. I was glad to see him start making uh, all-star teams because he's not a flashy player like um, someone like Westbrook uh, or like Steph Curry. He isn't going to get you 12 assists a game like Chris Paul or or Rondo. Um, but he's a, he's just a quality point guard where he's a score-first point guard. But again, we're doing positionless teams here. So he's score-first, but he can get his teammates involved, and I think he's a good all-around. He's a, I think he's a good defender. Um, he's a good all-around player. He can shoot the ball really well. He's got a mean step back jumper and excellent crossover. It's what helped win UConn win the uh what was it the uh Big East, right? That's what it was. The Big East tournament. I remember watching it. It was an incredible crossover step back in on Pittsburgh and it was awesome. Anyways, um I think he's underrated. I think he's quality, quality point guard. Um an argument could be made for Muggsy Bogues, but I think overall Kemba was just a better player in his time there. Muggsy Bogues was a quality point guard. He was definitely a pass-first point guard. Um, but I'd have a hard time seeing someone like him be able to make it in like this environment of the NBA being, what was he, 5'3"? Or five four, um, and I don't. That makes ugh, that makes me sound like I'm someone who's like, you sure he can't play well? Like he's not going to be good. But like, I don't feel that at all because I think that's ridiculous for any sport to judge on size. Um, but that being said, I I would choose Kemba over Muggsy Bogues, but I would be happy to have Muggsy come off the bench. Walker will get a lot more respect in Boston. He played six years in purgatory where nobody paid attention. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I think that's part of the reason of why he's, like, criminally underrated is because he played in Charlotte where the coolest thing about them is that their owner is Michael Jordan, and God, does he not know what he's doing. Um, but we don't have to talk about that here. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a much better team that he's playing with. He's having a career year in Boston. He's having the best season by far of his career. Uh, Boston is one of the best teams in the East right now. They have great chemistry, and he's a big part of it. 
He is so far and above and clearly a better fit for that team than Kyrie ever could be, um, which makes me happy because I do not like Kyrie Irving and I really like Kemba Walker. So I'm, I knew as soon as Kyrie or Kemba signed there, I was like, oh, this is going to be so much better for them. And it has been. Um, and I really hope that we get to finish up the NBA season so I can see how they do in the, in the playoffs. But I think he's a great fit there. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, we got to go off his Charlotte career, which, again, was good, but underrated. Does Muggsy get credit for playing for the Monstars? <laughs> Ooh. Maybe the Monstars should have their own team in this. That was it was it was Muggsy Bogues, Sean Bradley, Larry Johnson, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing. That's a lot of forwards. <laughs> that's like that's two centers, two power forwards, and a the shortest player of all time. So what a what a rap pack there. Um all right, guard two, it's Wardell Stephen Curry the first. It's Del Curry. Uh, Ten seasons with Charlotte, 14 points a game, two assists, three rebounds. I'm sorry. 1.1 BPM, 2.8 of the highest, and he won a one-sixth man of the year award. This, oh man. Listen, Del Curry is a great dad, and he raised some incredible boys to play lights out basketball, especially one of them who's clearly better than the other, but the younger one is still very talented. But like, man, Del Curry is the starting shooting guard on this team. Like, yikes. I know he was a good shooter uh, and obviously the precursor for his son, but like 14 points a game, two assists, three rebounds is your starting shooting guard for this team. That's just like, I guess now it doesn't even fit well with the team. I guess maybe he does if he's fine with averaging like six points a game and taking like three shots. I'll get to that. Um, Ford one is Glenn Rice. Three seasons with Charlotte, 24 points a game, two assists, four rebounds, 1.4 BPM, 1.8 1.8 was his highest. Three-time All-Star and two-time All-NBA. So, first of all, we're picking someone who only played three years with the team. Uh, not a good look. But that being said, this was definitely the best time in Glenn Rice's career. But that also being said, Glenn Rice played with absolutely nobody on this team. So, of course, he's going to average 24 points a game and become a three-time All-Star in this team because... No one else was there to help him out. Um, so it makes sense, you know, that he was a uh, a three-time All-Star. He's a great scorer because he, he still averaged, like, I think close to 20 points a game for his whole career, um, which was 10-plus years. So he's a great scorer. Um, but outside of that, he defense was like, meh, wasn't a great – passer getting his team involved he was kind of just like he's kind of like a Carmelo Anthony type player where it's kind of just like he kind of just like scores um, but can never really do anything in the playoffs with his teams so I think he'd fit well with this team though but again 
Just not a good look for the Hornets that you're having to pick someone who only played three years for the team. Uh, wasn't Curry the first draft pick in Hornet history? Was he? I think he was. I think he was their first expansion pick. I think him and Muggsy Bogues were the first picks. Um, and uh, listen, Del Curry was not a bad player. He was the Hornets' leading scorer for a while, I think, until Kemba Walker passed him a couple years ago. So he was he was a great three point shooter. Um, I don't want to take anything away from his career, but it's just the fact that like they didn't have anyone better than him to start at guard two was just it's just like ooh. Um. All right, so then forward two is Larry Johnson. Played five seasons with uh, Charlotte, twenty points a game, four assists, nine rebounds, one point nine BPM, uh, two point eight was his highest. Two-time All-Star and one-time All-NBA player. Um, first of all, got to give a shout-out to Larry Johnson for the gold tooth because it's legendary. Um, if you think about Larry Johnson, you think about one of two things. His gold tooth or him being in Space Jam and also getting his talents stolen. So there you go. There's something. Charlotte Hornets, they had two players have their talents stolen. Uh by the Monstars. So what does that tell you? I don't know. Um, so yeah, Larry Johnson was quite, I mean, again, five seasons, which is respectful. Um, and he only did play 10 years total in his career. Um, 20 points a game, nine rebounds, four assists. He's a good player. He's a good all around player. Um, made an all NBA team. He's a two time all-star. Um, you know, another another fine player you know he's he's a good player um he's like borderline hall of fame probably won't make it which is fine um you know decent player uh probably the second um maybe the third best player on the team maybe fourth but I think he would fit well with this team, though. So we'll get to that. So then finally at center, we have Alonzo Mourning, uh, who started off his career with the Hornets, first three seasons. Uh, 21 points a game, one assist, uh, 10 rebounds, 1.1 BPM average, and 1.5 was his highest, and he was a two-time All-Star. So this is early, early Alonzo Mourning. This is the first three years of his career. So this is not prime Alonzo Mourning. Um, and I was surprised to see him on this list before I remembered they've not had a better center in their history. Uh, so you got to go with Alonzo Mourning. So he was a great scorer, great rebounder, great blocker, uh, good defender. You know, he later in his career would go on to uh, lead the league several times in blocks. Um, he would win a Defensive Player of the Year award. He made a lot of all-defensive teams, but this was all in his time with Miami. Um, so Charlotte, Alonzo Mourning, is still coming into his own and is still very young. Um, but still a good player. Again, 21 points and 10 rebounds a game is still great. So overall as a team, I do think you have... Mm, you may have some gel issues between like Kemba Walker and Glenn Rice. 
because I think Glenn Rice would want to be more involved in the offense with Kemba Walker not being a pass-first point guard. Again, Del Curry, I think, fits great if you just plant him out by the three-point line and he's fine shooting, like, three shots a game. Like, he's like a modern-day, like, Kyle Korver kind of player where it's like you're not really going to get very involved unless someone's getting double-teamed or, like, you get a good, you know, you're kind of just running around the court all the time doing off-ball screens and coming off of screens and, like, catch-and-shoot kind of stuff. Larry Johnson, I think... It may get a little crowded in the lane with Larry and Alonzo Mourning because neither of them were, like, good shooters. So they both were kind of, like, post-up, back-to-the-basket guys. So that may clog it up, too. So you might actually have some gelling issues here. Um, Not very good in melding play styles. Del Curry's really the only one who can kind of fit well in the team and, like, do fine with his role because i mean he won six man of the year so he knows what it's like to be a role player um alonzo was kind of like a poor man's ewing <laughs> yeah and i think he kind of got that rap like his entire career unfortunately um but he definitely was during his time with charlotte where he just you know patrick was just the better version and yeah the better version of alonzo morning Which fun fact <clears throat> I learned today in my research, I didn't know that Alonzo Mourning also went to Georgetown. So even more parallels between the two of them. So overall, would this team, I don't think this team wins an NBA championship either. Definitely not. Because none of these guys have made it to... Alonzo Mourning is the only one who made it to the finals, and that was when he was being carried by Dwayne Wade and Shaq. So I think I'd rather actually take the Nets than this team because I think the Nets have better chemistry, would have better chemistry. And I just... uh, Like, this entire Hornets team is just kind of players that, like, are like looked over and forgotten because there's better versions of them. These are all just like poor man's someone else. <laughs> so sorry, Hornets fans, but that's what you get. Let's move on. The next team, we've all been watching the documentary about them. It's those dang Chicago Bulls. And you're going to recognize a lot of the names on this team. Um, But yeah, so let's start. Guard one is Derrick Rose. Seven seasons with Chicago, 20 points a game, six assists, four rebounds, 1.8 BPM average, 6.8 being his highest when he won the MVP uh, in 2010. Three-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA, and obviously, like I just said, one-time MVP. Prime, healthy Derrick Rose was scary. Scary good. It was he was he was legitimately one of the most exciting players to watch. Um unfortunately one of those careers where it will now be hampered by injuries. Um he had a great kind of comeback, comeback, comeback year 
this year at the Pistons. Um, wasn't great. It was good. Um, but his time in Chicago, when he was healthy, those first like four years were incredible. Um, one of the best players in the league. I mean, he won rookie of the year. And then I think the next year or the year after became the youngest MVP of all time. Um, and beat out LeBron James and stopped LeBron from winning five MVPs in a row. Um, some people will say that LeBron should have won, and that was just the beginning of people being sick of LeBron winning MVP. But I don't think so because LeBron then proceeded to win the next two years. So, um, yeah, great, great choice here. Um, I'm trying to think of, I don't really. Th- I don't think you can really say that you'd go like BJ Armstrong or Steve Kerr over him. Um, when you're looking at specifically like who is the best point guard in Bulls history, it's Derrick Rose. Now I'll get to this later, but there's definitely people I would pick over Derrick Rose for team chemistry. Moving on at shooting guard, uh, it's Kirk Heinrich. I'm kidding. Of course it's Michael Jordan. Um, I really don't need to go through this, but let's go through it anyway because it's fun to remember how stupid Michael Jordan was. He played 13 seasons with Chicago in that time, averaged 32 points per game, five assists, six rebounds, averaged 10.2 BPM with his highest being 13, 12-time uh, All-Star, 10-time scoring champion. Let me repeat that, 10-time scoring champion, three-time steals champion, six-time champ- NBA champion, 11-time All-NBA, 9-time All-Defensive, 1-time Defensive Player of the Year, and 5-time MVP. Um, Just don't need to say anything more. It's Michael Jordan. Moving on. Small forward, sorry, forward one, of course, it's Scottie Pippen. 12 seasons with Chicago, 18 points per game, 5 assists, 7 rebounds, 4.7 4.7 BPM average, 7.7 being his highest, seven-time All-Star, one-time Steals champ, six-time NBA champion, seven-time All-NBA player, 10-time All-Defensive player. Again, really don't need to cover much about this guy, especially if you just finished watching those 10 episodes of The Last Dance. You know everything you could possibly need to know about Scottie Pippen, the best role player of all time, the best second fiddle player of all time. Um, one of the best small forwards of all time, one of the best defensive players of all time. Moving on. 4-2, it's Dennis Rodman. Three seasons with Chicago. Five points per game, three assists per game, 15 rebounds per game. Uh, 0.0 BPM, 0.5 was his highest in those three years. One-time all-defensive player and one-time rebound leader. So obviously, again, we all know who Dennis Rodman is. We've all been watching The Last Dance. We know everything we could possibly need to know about him. He was, obviously his resume really comes from his time in Detroit. That's where he won um, back-to-back championships with them. Um, oh, sorry, that's, I should have also mentioned that he was a three-time champion in there. I don't know why that I didn't list that. Um, he won his Defensive Player of the Years in Detroit. Um, he made a lot more all defensive teams in Detroit. Uh, he was, I think th- a three time rebounds leader in Detroit. So his prime was in Detroit. Um, 
Well, I guess I should say it was just an extended peak. The end of his peak, or sorry, the end of his time in Detroit was the beginning of it, and then the second half of it was his time in Chicago. Um, again, you know, we, one of the best defenders, one of the best rebounders, I should say, of all time in the NBA. A great defender, too. Um, but one of the best rebounders of all time. Um, and I will say, it's pretty interesting when you... If you've watched The Last Dance, I think it was episode three when they specifically kind of talked all about Dennis Rodman. And they were doing his kind of, uh, you know, his interview. And he was saying how he studied, like, if the ball hits here, it's going to go over here. I know it's going to go there. If it bounces here, I know it's going to go over here. Like, he knew every which way the ball was spinning and which way it was coming from and where it hit. He knew exactly where it was going to go. And that's what made him such a good rebounder. And it sounds like a little ridiculous, like there's no way you can just know that. But if you watch film, like if you watch highlights of him rebounding the ball, it's never just like jumping up like this. Like it's jumping up, like reaching out for the ball, knowing exactly where it's going and where it will be. It's incredible. Um, So I think it makes sense that Dennis Rodman is forward to here. I think a case could be made for someone like Bob Boozer or Bob Love, you know, back in the day. Um, I think it makes sense they put him in over Horace Grant because I think he was more of a key player to those to that second three-peat than Horace Grant was to the first one. But Dennis Rodman was brought in to fill the void that Horace Grant left. So take it for what you will, but... You know, again, I think the thing to remember here is that for Dennis Rodman, we're taking only his three years that he played in Chicago, not his whole time, like his whole career, where, again, a lot of it was in Detroit. Um, And then finally at center, we have Artis Gilmore. uh, Seven seasons with Chicago, 19 points, three assists, 11 rebounds, 3.8 BPM average, 4.3 being his highest. Um, This makes sense. He's definitely the best center they've ever had. Um, you know, Bill Cartwright was fine. Um, Luke Longley was fine. Uh, you could say Charles Oakley, but I think he did. His prime was really in New York with the Knicks um, as opposed to with Chicago. Um, I was really hoping that they wouldn't put Joakim Noah in, so I was glad to see that because I think Joakim Noah is – wildly overrated um and i think that joe you could say that joe kim noah is kind of a poor man's artist gilmore um but artist gilmore was just a much better all-around player because joe kim noah can't score the ball and artist gilmore can um so i was happy to see artists make it on this team because i think he deserves more love than he gets to um Let's see. Uh, Derek Rose went healthy. He was legit, real scary in college as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, he led them to a championship. I mean, they lost, obviously, to Kansas, um, led by Mario Chalmers making a crazy, you know, game-winning shot. But, yeah, incredible player in college, too. Um, Rodman is also a wow factor. That's for sure. Tony Kukoc needs some love, though. Still put up numbers after the dynasty was over. That's true. Um, 
Tony Kukoc definitely does not ever get the love that he deserves. Um, so I, let's let let's look up what his numbers were with. Look up his stats while he was with the Bulls. The Croatian sensation. Again, he didn't come over to the NBA until he was 25. He was killing it over in Croatia, just playing Euroball. So he played with the Bulls until the 99-2000 season. Uh, let's see. In his time in Chicago, averaged 14 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds. So the thing is here, like Tony Kukoc does deserve more respect and more love than he gets, especially after watching the last dance, you see how poorly treated and respected he was. But like he played small forward his whole career. So it's hard to start him over Scotty. Cause I don't think I would necessarily want to put Scotty Pippen at power. I, I guess you could bump Scotty down to power forward and put Tony Kukoc in at small forward. But I think I'd rather with this team in terms of chemistry, I'd rather keep it how it is now and then have Tony Kukoc be my sixth man coming off. Cause then you can kind of mess around with like the size of the team and, you know, get him involved. Um, his biggest problem was he played 20 years too soon. That's for sure. Any European, literally any European player who played before Dirk Nowitzki came too early before their time. Cause the NBA just wasn't ready for, for Euro ball. And like it didn't adapt to it and it just didn't allow for it to flourish and be respected and admired. But then, you know, finally Dirk came over and was able to get at that respect and love, um, that it deserved. And now it's very much appreciated, you know, with guys like him, um, you know, you could say Manu Ginobili played a great Euro style basketball. Um, who else? Who else? Um, Miritich, who played for the Bulls uh, very recently and the Pelicans. I think he actually went back over to Europe. Um, you know, great player. Ricky Rubio, great European player. Luka Doncic, obviously a great European player. Um, you know, those are kind of players who are thriving now on the European style of basketball. Like you said, just like 20 you know, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't working out too well for them. Um, so that's very true. That's a good point. Overall, though, I think that this team is uh, overrated. And I think that a lot of people would instantly just be like, oh, yeah, like the Bulls, they're going to be like either number one or another number two team. But in my opinion, I think they're not even like a top five. Because obviously they have Michael Jordan, Scotty, and Dennis Rodman who all played together. But Derrick Rose is not meshing well with that team at all. Derrick Rose and Michael Jordan, butting heads. That is not going to end well 
at all. Two totally non-complimentary play styles. Um, I think Michael Jordan would be threatened by Derrick Rose with like matching him in ferocity and and just like almost like anger while he's playing. Um, Derrick Rose isn't going to be you know just giving the ball to Michael either. Um, spoken like a true Knicks fan. Hey man, what's the tagline for the show? It's like Sports Center, but way more biased and less credible. So, you know, I I don't know. I I'm not saying that this is a bad team because again, the core of them is the team that won six championships, well, three championships together, and had a 72 win team. Um. I just don't think that Derrick Rose meshes well at all. And I think that, I mean, again, I never watched Artis Gilmore play, so who knows how he fits in with them. But um, I just think for chemistry purposes, you'd want to have someone like B.J. Armstrong, Steve Kerr, John Paxson, those guys who were willing to just kind of facilitate but get the ball to Michael and could bail him out with a big shot at at times. Um New name, Spike Graves. I, listen, I like the Knicks, but I am no Spike Lee. I am not die hard for them. I will not bleed blue and orange. I don't have that much respect for this franchise. I've barely, for being a Knicks fan, I've barely cared about the Knicks for the past, like, seven years because I've pretty much, you know, for those of you who know me, know that I am a massive Chris Paul fan, so I just follow whatever team he plays on and, and root for them. So I've been a you know Hornets, Clippers, Rockets, Thunder fan for the past 10 years and casually watched the Knicks because I was very much into the Knicks. Basically, as soon as they got Amari Stoudemire and then when they traded for Melo and then like after they... Like that year that they didn't make the playoffs, I was like, this is going downhill fast. And I stopped paying as much attention to them and just kind of focused my attention on Chris Paul. Um, they could run Scotty at point and crew coach at small forward. You know, that's honestly not a bad idea. I didn't even think about that. Scotty at the point. That's fair. I don't know how Scotty Pippen would do guarding point guards I guess I mean maybe you could have Michael switch and then try to have him guard like shooting guards but um (laughs) I know no worries um it's all love um yeah I, I think that would be good definitely on the offensive side of things I think in terms of Defense, I mean, obviously, Scottie Pippen's one of the best all-around defenders of all time. I'm just wondering how he would do against, like, quicker guys like, you know, Chris Paul or Kemba Walker or Kyrie Irving. Because you weren't dealing with players who had, like, ball handle skills like someone like a Kyrie Irving. And I'm wondering, like, how how would you do against someone like a Steph Curry who's just going to jack up threes on him? I mean, listen, I'm overthinking this, obviously. So I think that is a better lineup in terms of a team, having Scotty at point guard 
and Kukoc at small forward. But, you know, this is ESPN making the list, so they said it's positionless, but they stuck to positions. So I think we got to keep a point guard at point guard. So if it's Derrick Rose, this team's going to have some some meshing issues. All right, let's press on. we got a couple more to go through. Cleveland Cavaliers, guard one is Mark Price. Nine seasons with the Cavs, uh, 16 points, seven assists, three rebounds, 4.4 BPM, 6.4 being his highest, uh, four-time All-Star and four-time All-NBA. Mark Price, um, Mark Price definitely an underrated player, especially an underrated point guard. Um, especially when it comes to the Cavs. So I was happy to see him make this list and get some recognition and respect. Um, you know, 16.7 assists. He he was a quality um, player for that Cavs team in like the 90s. Um, he was a big part of, you know, that kind of little mini, uh, you know, feud with the Bulls. Um, so... I think he's a quality point guard here because he's, you know, he's a pass first point guard, get his teammates involved. So I think that's a good choice. Kyrie Irving at guard two. Um, 6 seasons with the Cavs, 22 points, six assists, three rebounds, 3.5 BPM, 4.1 was his highest four time all-star one time NBA champion and one time all NBA player. Now, listen, we all know Kyrie Irving. And we know that he's a good player. He's got some of the best handles in the game. I think that, on the whole, I think Kyrie Irving is overrated. I think he's a headache to do with. I think he's got an attitude. He's not a leader. He thinks he is, but he's not a leader. He does terrible when he's put in a leadership position. We saw that in Boston. He's a good individual player, but he he needs to be second fiddle. Um, now, in the terms of this specific scenario, um, it makes sense for him to make this team because in terms of other guards that you want from Cleveland, there's not really much else. Like the only other person I think I would consider putting at shooting guard or guard two would be like Wally Serbiak, maybe. But then again, it's just like I'd rather have Kyrie Irving. So we'll get to his meshing thing in a little bit. Obviously, it's small forward is LeBron James. Again, I'll just run through this real quick. Eleven seasons with Cleveland. Um. 27 points per game, 7 assists, 7 rebounds, 8.7 BPM, average 13.2 was his highest. Um, 14-time All-Star, 1-time scoring champion, 1-time NBA champion, 2-time MVP, 10-time All-NBA, and 2-time All-Defensive. Resume speaks for itself. We all know who he is. <laughs> Kyrie should be banned from any team grouping, selfish and moody. I Listen, I completely agree with you, and I'm going to get to that when I kind of talk about the team as a whole, but yes, yes, amen to that. 
Um, forward two, Larry Nance. Seven seasons with Cleveland, 17 points a game, three assists, eight rebounds, 3.7 BPM average, 5.2 highest, uh, two-time All-Star, three-time All-Defensive player. Larry Nance, I was glad to see him on here. It made sense. I honestly, before I even got to this team, I thought in my head of who the cla- who the Cavs team was be- would be, and I correctly predicted every single one. Um, so Larry Nance being forward two here makes total sense. He was great player with the Cavs. Um, you know, he's he was a great power forward, good good scoring, good rebounding, good defender, just a good quality all around classic power forward. Um, and then center, it's Brad Doherty. Um, eight seasons with the Cavs, nineteen points a game, four assists, ten rebounds. 2.2 BPM average, 4.9 was his highest, uh, five-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA. Again, this made sense. There's really no other choices you can make here. Um, again, just another classic classic center. Good at scoring, good back-to-the-back. Back. He did have a good jump shot, too. He was a very good... He was kind of like... He was kind of, honestly, like a Tim Duncan before Tim Duncan came around where it's very fundamental, use the backboard a lot for jump shots, um, good rebounder, good defender, good rim protector, nothing flashy at all. Um, couldn't lead the team to do, I mean, he was part of that team, you know, in like the 90s, um, but couldn't ever help them do much more than get like to like the second round of the playoffs. Um, so overall, as a team, I think you're going to have some relative meshing, melding issues, mainly stemming from Kyrie Irving. Um, Obviously, they were able to make it work in, you know, 2015, 2016, when they won the NBA championship. But um, I don't know. I just, I don't like Kyrie Irving. He's not a good teammate. He's not a good leader. So I just, I would, I always want to stay away from him. So obviously LeBron is going to lead this team and he's going to get his teammates involved. And I think pretty much everyone else on the team is great role players. Like Mark Price is just a good facilitator. Larry Nance and Brad Doherty played together. So they know how to meld and mesh together and make it work down low. It's a good defensive presence and good, you know, second option of offense. Um, it could get clogged though with Braun wanting to drive a lot and Larry Nance and Brad Doherty both being there, but you can pull Brad Doherty out a little bit since he did have a jump shot. Um, so overall it's a quality team. Um, one of the better ones we've looked at tonight for sure. Um, but again, that mainly falls on LeBron's shoulders. If you take Braun out of this, then it's a significantly worst team but obviously we're not doing that because it's that's not part of the exercise so definitely a a quality team all right now next up we got a real powerhouse we we got the Detroit Pistons and this is a team that may not score more than 85 points in any game, 
but they're also not going to allow the opponent to score more than like 70. <laughs> um, let's discuss. Starting at guard one, obviously it's Isaiah Thomas. Uh, 13 seasons with Detroit, 19 points a game, nine assists, four rebounds, 2.6 BPM average, uh, 6.3 was his highest, 12-time All-Star, one-time assist leader, two-time NBA champion, five-time All-NBA team. Um, one of the greatest point guards of all time. By far a top five point guard of all time. Um, I think he's like number two or three in assists all time in the NBA. According to Michael Jordan, he's the number two point guard of all time behind Magic Johnson. So take that for what you will. Um, I think he he's probably the number three point guard of all time on my list. I think it goes Magic Johnson, then John Stockton, and then Isaiah Thomas. You know, I, I'm, I'm, we're not even going to discuss that that list. Um, if Rip Hamilton isn't on this list, I may have to leave. Uh, well, let me preface before I get to guard two here. That this isn't my list. This is ESPN's list. So don't don't take it out on me for ESPN's shortcomings. Don't kill the messenger. I'm just going, I'm just telling you what they picked and giving my thoughts on it. So that being said, guard two is Joe Dumars. Don't leave, though. Don't leave. Hear me out. Hear the statistics out. Uh, 14 seasons with the Pistons. 16 points a game, 5 assists, 2 rebounds, uh, 0.8 BPM average, 2.7 was his highest. 6-time All-Star, 2-time NBA champion, 3-time All-NBA team, and 5-time All-Defensive team. Now, I... I hear your argument for Rip Hamilton completely. Very, very underrated player. Um, I think Rip Hamilton is probably the second best shooting guard that the Pistons have ever seen other than Joe Dumars. I think Dumars edges out Rip Hamilton purely based on his defense. And not to say that Rip Hamilton was a bad defender. I just think that Joe Dumars was better. He had similar scoring prowess because we have to remember that he was playing alongside Isaiah Thomas, who was very offensively gifted. Um, whereas I think Rip Hamilton was usually the number one scoring option on that Pistons team. So in my opinion... I would probably, for this team, I'd have Rip Hamilton be the sixth man, have him come in um, to, you know, be, you know, help out. Um, to help out, you know, Joe Dumars um, and give him a break and be a good scoring option. I don't know. I just, I think that... For me, it was close when I was thinking about it for my own like kind of personal list. It is close with Dumars and Rip Hamilton, but I do think that Dumars does get the edge. 
um, because I think he helps with the defensive mindset of this team because this team is by far the most gelling, melding, teamiest, one-for-all, all-for-one mindset uh, of any of the teams that we've looked at. And I think of all the teams in the East. Um, a 15-year NBA veteran told me personally that Rip was the toughest person in the league to guard. Is that true? Toughest person in the league to guard. <clears throat> That's fair. That's very fair. I, I, you know, he was a, like I say, I'm not trying to take anything away from Rip Hamilton. He was a great scorer. I guess, I mean, I think he probably would. F- teamiest. Yeah, I said teamiest. I, it doesn't make any sense, but they're the teamiest team of all the teams in the team. Um, I get like Rip Hamilton would fit in just fine with this team. I think he'd have a great role because he was never demanding of the ball for as good of a offensive player. Um, this is ESPN setting up a bad boys documentary. Only tough guys allowed. Well, that's for sure. I'm, I can almost guarantee you we're going to get it beginning a, a bad boy. I think we already have one though. I think they already made a documentary on the bad boys, but if not, I mean, listen real quick, quick aside here. The Last Dance just opened up a, a massive vault for uh, documentaries to be made. Like, you know we're going to get one for LeBron at one point. We already know that one for the Kobe Shaq Lakers and Kobe's last season is already in the works. Um, we could get one for the Bad Boys. We could, I'd love to see one personally on the Hakeem Olajuwon Rockets. Um, We could get one for the Showtime uh, Lakers. We could get one for the the Warriors dynasty that just ended. We could get one on Kevin Durant specifically. Um, There's a lot. I mean, and that's just basketball. Um, But anyways... So moving on, Ford one, Grant Hill. Uh, six seasons with the Pistons, 22 points per game, six assists, eight rebounds, 5.2 BPM average, 8.2 was his highest, five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA player. Um, really can't argue with Grant Hill here. Um There's a couple of, like you could say, like maybe Mark Aguirre or Adrian Dantley, uh, maybe even Tayshaun Prince, but like none of those guys made as much of an impact on the team as Grant Hill did, um, especially because like Dantley and Aguirre were both only there for like a handful of seasons. Um, Tayshaun Prince was there for a little while longer but didn't have the impact that Grant Hill had. I mean, let's not remember that Grant, let's not forget, excuse me, that Grant Hill was being dubbed the next Michael Jordan uh, coming out of college and was slowly living up to that hype um, until he just became really injury prone, uh, you know, and kept, you know, 
missing a lot of time. And that kind of hampered the rest of his career, unfortunately. But his time with Detroit was definitely the best time he had in the NBA. And it was quality. He was one of the best all-around players. He was a great scorer, good shooter, great defender, had really good court vision, was a great passer, got his teammates involved. Um, he has the highest BPM of any of the players on this uh, Detroit Pistons team. Um he was just a quality all-around player, so can't argue with Grant Hill here. Uh, power forward is Ben Wallace, or sorry, forward two is Ben Wallace. Nine seasons with the Pistons, seven points a game, two assists, 11 rebounds, 2.9 BPM, 4.5 was his highest. Four-time All-Star, one-time NBA champion, four-time Defensive Player of the Year, five-time All-Defensive Team, five-time All-NBA, two-time rebounding leader, and one-time blocks leader. So Ben Wallace was essentially just the second iteration of Detroit Dennis Rodman. Um, He didn't have even 5% of the personality that Dennis Rodman had. Uh, But again, one of the best defensive rebounding big men in the modern NBA era um he was the defensive anchor for that 04 team when they won the championship um you know four-time defensive player of the year led the league twice in rebounds and led it once in blocks um probably could have won even more defensive player of the year awards than than that um and he still won four he was a major reason that the pistons won that championship uh he had a really high basketball IQ that people I think a lot of times don't really understand because he averaged seven points per game in his career, you know, and he was always known as the worst free throw shooter of all time, you know, averaging like 43% from, from the line, but you don't always have to score. Like he didn't need to score to make that team work. And in this team as well, he doesn't have to score to make it work. He is their defensive anchor. He's a, a brick wall down there, and he's, you know, a great rim protector, great defender. So, totally on board with Ben Wallace for forward two. And then finally, for center, we have um, Bob Lanier. Ten seasons with the Pistons, 23 points per game, three assists, 12 rebounds, uh, 5.3 BPM, 7.1 was his highest, and he was a seven-time All-Star for the Pistons. Bob Lanier... Another team, another name that most people haven't heard of that they should. Um, I think he is the second best Pistons player of all time behind Isaiah Thomas. And just not a lot of people know about him uh, because he played back in the 70s, I believe. Uh, so, you know, again, back when the NBA was falling to the ground uh, and going bankrupt and losing a lot of fans. Um, so not a lot of eyes on him, but Bob Lanier was a great, great player, and he was one of the better big men of his time, too. Um, you know, you had your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you had Wilt Chamberlain, uh, you had Bill Walton, and then you kind of had Bob Lanier, who went under the radar, but was a great player, you know? I mean, 23 points a game, 12 rebounds, 
had the second highest BPM on the team, uh, seven-time All-Star. He's a quality player. He's another classic center who, back to the basket, great scorer, great rebounder, but didn't demand the ball. He was just a good, good basketball player. Um, so this Pistons team is, in my opinion, the best of these eight that we're looking at tonight. We have one more to look at. Um, but of all eight teams that we've looked at so far tonight in the Eastern Conference, this one is pretty far and away the best team. Um, it's a defensive brick wall because you have Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Grant Hill, Ben Wallace, Bob Lanier. Uh, again, Ben Wallace, one of the best modern-day defending centers. Uh, Grant Hill, one of the best all-around players during his time. Dumars and Thomas, both excellent defenders um, on the wing. And then you have scoring at will. You have 19 points a game, 16 points, 22, 7, and 23 points a game. Um, So you're getting scoring wherever you need it. You can have Isaiah score if you need to, but he can also get his teammates involved. Joe Dumars is a great second option. Grant Hill can score very well. Ben Wallace, you don't need to worry about. He's just there to be for defense. And Bob Lanier is down there in the lane because Isaiah definitely, you know, can drive to the rim, but you can just put him in pick and rolls with Lanier or Ben Wallace. Um, I would personally do them with Ben Wallace and then have Bob Lanier space it out a little bit. Um, Joe Dumars is a great catch and shoot player. Grant Hill can shoot the ball. He can drive. Um, you know, the lot, the, the lane's not getting clogged up. You got good shooters. You have great passers. All of them are great team players. None of them play hero ball or demand the ball too much. No isolation play with any of these guys. It's just a really good team <clears throat> that just like the, you know, uh, just like the Bad Boys Pistons, just like the 04 Pistons that won the title, they rely on defense, and the best defense is a good, or the best offense is a good defense. Um, and this is just the epitome of that. So, great, great team here. All right. And then finally, finishing up the night uh, with the eighth team. Again, we're doing the first half tonight and the second half next week. We have the Indiana Pacers. And, um, if you thought you hadn't heard of players before, wait until we go through these Pacers players because I had only heard of two of these guys. And I consider myself a pretty well-rounded NBA historian and fan. And I hadn't heard of more than half of these players. So... Let's just get right into it because I don't think we'll be spending much time on it. Starting at guard one is Freddie Lewis. Eight seasons with the Pacers. Um, They were all in the ABA. Um, 16 points a game, four assists, four rebounds, negative two BPM average. Uh, 1.2 was his highest. So just, again, to go over that real quick, that means that on average... Freddie Lewis was negative two points. So he was two points worse than the average player in the NBA. 
and he's the starting guard one for this Pacers team. <clears throat> he's a three-time All-Star and a three-time ABA champion. Um, played in the 50s, I believe, maybe the 60s in the ABA. So that's when it was like literally a handful of teams. Uh, so that's really all I have to say about him. Um, guard two, everyone could have predicted this one. It's Reggie Miller. We all know Reggie Miller. 18 seasons with the Pacers, 18 points a game, three assists, three rebounds, uh, three and a half BPM average, 5.8 was his highest. He's a five-time All-Star and three-time All-NBA player. So what I'll say about Reggie for this team is he's going to be scoring a lot more than 18 points a game. He's probably going to average around, I would guess, like 35 to 40 points a game, especially for playing in today's NBA because he's the second, he has the second most three-pointers made of all time in the NBA. Uh, one of the best pure shooters that the league has ever seen. He's a good scorer. Not a great defender, not a good passer, not a good rebounder. He pretty much exclusively scores and exclusively does that kind of from the three-point line. Um, so Reggie's going to be the star here, and he's going to have to be doing a lot for this team. But let's move on. Ford one is Roger Brown. Eight seasons with the Pacers. Again, all in the ABA. Um, 18 points per game. Four assists, seven rebounds, 0.7 BPM, 0.9 was his highest. <clears throat> uh, Four-time All-Star, three-time champion, again, played on the same teams as Freddie Lewis, and was a three-time All-ABA player. So again, same thing as I said for Freddie Lewis. He was an ABA player. There's a handful of teams, so they won three championships, which wasn't necessarily that difficult they are championships nonetheless he at his best was only 0.9 points higher than the average nba player so he's barely above average both he and freddie lewis so and again never even heard of this guy so i don't have anything else to say about him four two is george mcginnis i know him uh seven seasons with indiana uh all of them in the a oh sorry six of them were at the aba then he went to the NBA, played for the 76ers, won a championship with them, and then finished his career with the Indiana Pacers in the NBA, but wasn't doing anything. So in his time with the Pacers, 20 points per game, three assists, 11 rebounds, 2.2 um, BPM average, 6.4 was his highest. Um, three-time All-Star, one-time MVP, and three-time All-ABA. So again, this was all in the ABA, uh, but he was an MVP nonetheless. Um, so, yeah, George McGinnis is definitely the second best player on this team. Uh, definitely the second option for, for everything. Again, Reggie's going to be the first option. You're going to have to rely on him very heavily. Um, so, he has a good, he has the highest BPM of, everyone, of anyone on the team. And again, he went on to win a championship in the NBA with the 76ers, and he was a good role player on that team. So George McGinnis is definitely going to be your your down-low presence that you're going to rely on 
when Reggie is either getting double teamed at the three-point line or isn't getting shots to fall, get the ball into George. And then finally at center, you have Mel Daniels, six seasons with the Pacers, um, 19 points per game, two assists, 16 rebounds, negative 1.3 BPM, and that was his highest. Uh, Six-time All-Star, three-time champion, two-time MVP, four-time All-ABA. I don't really understand how you can be negative one. You can be 1.3 points lower than an average NBA ABA player and be a two-time MVP and three-time champion. I don't really understand it, but that's just how it works. But again, all ABA was on that same team with Roger Brown and Freddie Lewis. They won those three championships. Um, so you have to take that with a grain of salt because there was like maybe six teams in the ABA uh, and the competition was all in the NBA. So there's not much to work with there. That being said, so that's three players for the Pacers I've never heard of, two of which I would have easily switched out, and I'm seeing both of their names in the comments right now. Point guard, you got to bring in Mark Jackson, who is a top five assist leader of all time in the NBA. And at small forward, you got to bring in Paul George, who is one of the best players the Pacers have seen in their history. And then for center, you can even make an argument for Jermaine O'Neal. I don't really know what ESPN was thinking, and this is why I don't ever read any articles from ESPN. This is why I don't follow them on any social media. This is why I don't trust them, and I don't think they're a reputable news or sports source anymore. Because how can you think of the Pacers all time and not think of Mark Jackson, Paul George, Jermaine O'Neal, Detlef Schrempf. Uh, I mean, I just, I don't know. I'd even take Danny Granger over Roger Brown. He he played way better. I just, I don't really know what they're thinking. But me personally, and it sounds like the people in the comments as well, is we're subbing out Freddie Lewis, putting in Mark Jackson. Subbing out Roger Brown, putting in Paul George. And I personally would sub out Mel Daniels, don't know who you are, get him out of here, put in Jermaine O'Neal. Um, and this may just be my, you know, naivete speaking because I've never heard of those three guys, I never watched them play. But just going off of the statistics and knowing that they only ever played in the ABA, I'd rather go with Mark Jackson, Paul George, Jermaine O'Neal. Um Paul George is like Pippin, but with a better jumper. That's very true. Yeah. Um, I think if you basically, if you take like 15% of Pippin's defense and put it into a better offensive game, then you basically have Paul George. Because he's, he, well, I, I, he didn't have a great defensive year this year, but he, his whole career has been one of the best wing defenders in the league. Um, and really, really found his offensive stride and was crushing it. And he's also an excellent, uh, like highlight reel. He's a great shooter, decent passer, excellent defender, um, can finish at the rim. And he, he, he's a good leader because he, 
was the biggest problem, I think, for LeBron James in the East when he was uh, with the Heat. Because when he was with the Cavs, he didn't have any problems in the East. But when he was with the Heat, that's when they had their biggest issues. And some people will say it was the Celtics. I think it was the Pacers. Because they brought them to the seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals, I think two years in a row. Um, I'm pretty sure. I think it was... It was the Celtics one year, then the Bulls, and then the Pacers two years in a row, I'm pretty sure. And that was all because of Paul George. Um, because he was the one who was locking down LeBron and was scoring on LeBron. Um, and he was being a problem. So, yeah. That's what I would do. I would personally sub those three guys out. Um, but overall, with this team, with this team that ESPN came up with, it's trash. Uh, they're not going to get very far. They're not going to do much. Um, I'm. Mm, I think I take the Nets over this team. I don't know if I take the Hornets over this team because I just don't know anything about those three guys. Now, granted, if you sub in Mount, if you sub in Mark Jackson, Paul George, and Jermaine O'Neal, they're a formidable team. I definitely take them over the Hornets, over the Nets. And that's probably it. But it's a decent team. It's it's decent all around. Um, but with how ESPN ranked it, not good. Where does my new Indiana team fit in the East now? So if you have Mark Jackson, Reggie Miller, Paul George... George McGinnis and Jermaine O'Neal. Ooh. That's like That could be a number 2 seed. I think I'd still take the Bucks over them. But I think I think they could beat the 76ers. I think their size would be too big for the Celtics. And I think that Reggie Miller would be a problem against the Raptors. Could their team beat the Indiana University team with Isaiah Thomas in college? <laughs> I love these scenarios that we're coming up with to try to see who can beat who. My team, yes. The ESPN one? Probably not. I just, I don't trust this team at all. You're having to literally just rely solely on Reggie Miller. And while he had some clutch moments, and Michael Jordan did say that that was the toughest team that they had to face, I think that's just because a lot of that Bulls team was at the end of their career. And so that was the toughest at that time. But if it was like 89 and he was facing that team, I think the Bulls would have run through them in five. Reggie would average 35 a game today. Oh, easily. Yeah. If you just combine like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and James Harden, and like, yeah. If you just combine those guys, basically you get Reggie Miller. Because he was the three-point shooter before there were like people who just like exclusively shot three-pointers. Um, 
and he's clutch. You have to give that to Reggie Miller too, is that he's very clutch. Like he, like he's sunk a lot of like game winning shots in his career and put teams away. Um, you know, as a Knicks fan, I know all about that. I know all about that. So you don't need to tell me. Um, but yeah, so those are the first eight teams for the East for the all time starting five. Um, so yeah. Um, It'll be, you know, we'll, we'll go through, obviously, like I said, next week, we're going to do the second half of the East. And then at that point, we can kind of compare and contrast and see who we think would be the best in the East. I've already looked at those teams, so I already know what my opinion is. Um, but that being said, these are the eight for tonight. I think out of this eight, I would take the Celtics first, the Bulls second, um, maybe the Cavs third and then like probably Hawks, Nets, Pacers, Hornets. That's my order for tonight's eight. Um, but yeah, so that's that. Like I said, next week we'll be back with the other eight, the rest of the East. Um, so yeah make sure you guys are all following the, the show on social media you can find us on Instagram and Facebook both at Sports Talk with Swag uh, Twitter is STWSCast um, I'd say definitely make sure you're following the Facebook page where you are right now if you're watching live and if you're not if you're listening um, make sure you're following it because Every week, that's where we do the live video for the episodes. And then make sure you're following Twitter as well, because I'm the most active there. I tweet a bunch every day. Um, I don't just talk about the NBA. I try to hit all sports, but I mainly focus on the NBA and professional wrestling. Um, what else? You can listen to this uh, podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, all, this, all the podcast um, apps and medium so you can listen to it make sure you leave a, a rating make sure you subscribe so you get all the new episodes downloaded right to your phone uh, you can write an email to sports talk with swag at gmail.com with any thoughts questions uh, concerns topics you want to be covered if you want to be in the show um, anything like that send an email um, but yeah Outside of that, I want to thank you all in the Facebook chat. You guys were all very active tonight, and that was awesome for me. That was very much appreciated. I love a back and forth. So thank you guys for checking out the Facebook. And even if you were in the comments, I appreciate you being here live and watching the video. It means a lot. Um, so make sure you guys come back uh, anytime. You're always welcome. Um, it was my pleasure. And... Um, Thanks for listening to the audio as well, if you're listening to it. And without, I don't know why I said without, but with that being said, I will see you guys in the next episode. Peace.
Sports Talk with Swerve.